from CSG Studios high above the streets of beautiful Denver, Colorado. You're listening to the Colorado Sports Guys. They talk about sports and stuff. And now your hosts, Jeff Morton, Ross Martin, and Nate Timmons. What's up, everybody out there entangled in the interwebs? We're back. CSG Podcast. Ross, Hipsters, Glasses, Martin out on assignment. We sent him to Oakland to cover this Nuggets-Warriors game from the home <laughs> team's perspective. Making his way all the way down here from Thornton, we got the king himself, Jeff Morton. What's up, everybody? And that, that was a special one for uh, Nuggets PR wizard, Tim Gilt, who unfortunately was not able to hear me do this live. But we will get you a, a what's up, everybody, in person one of these days, Tim. Yes. And special guest today, we have Matt Moore from CBS Sports or HP Basketball on Twitter. Hey, how are you guys? <laughs> Doing well. And, of course, we have Adam Marez of DenverStiffs.com of Vice Sports and the Locked On Nuggets podcast, which hopefully your ears are listening to. Not now, before or but after, I mean, this, after podcast. this podcast. When I got here, when I got here two years ago, three, three, four years ago, uh, there were no Nuggets podcasts, and now there's like a plethora of them. There is so much good Nuggets content on the internet now. Yeah, there's a lot of it. Yeah, I mean, BSN Denver, Harrison Wynn, TJ McBride. Never heard of them. Who? I saw a new Nuggets podcast. Isn't the uh, is the uh, Pickaxe podcast coming back? Uh, I might have seen something about that. It may be making a return, not with me, but with some other stiffs. And of course, the stiffs have been holding it down forever. I've been reading stiffs since I've been reading Denver. I've been reading Denver stiffs since when it was firegeorgecarl.com. dot com. And I used to read. I used to read uh, before pickaxe and roll. Pickaxe and roll. I used to read. I like pickaxe and roll better. Yes, eat your shit, Andy. (laughs) So. Oh, I, I, if, if Andy listened to our podcast, that would be great. Are we talking about you. just the name? Or <laughs> <laughs> Are we talking just names or the actual content? No, the actual content. Oh, yeah, there we I go. Al- I yes. always, I really yes. like, I was, I, and I would promote it, be like, hey, I used to put you in my uh, HP link dump every day, the, the links post I used to do, I would get you guys in there. Those were big, weren't they, link dumps? Links were like the thing to do, and like now they're newsletters, and I think CBS is going to have me start doing a newsletter. So I'm going to start, I will, I'll be directing people to this fine podcast. Oh, there you go. And none of Adam's stuff. Perfect. Not perfect. Perfect. (laughs) I'll tell people specifically never to to ever click on his material. But Paul Paul Klee was telling us last week that uh, we were his uh, Denver Sis was his source for uh, Nuggets information when we were got years ago when he was out of town and he was was covering the Big Ten. Yeah, it was just the three of us doing it, and it made just made me feel really old. And and he said (laughs) was, which made me feel really really bad. You guys used to be great, (laughs) and then Adam took over and. Downhill. <laughs> Clickbait. Now I... <laughs> and it goes. I don't remember, too. I mean, thank Matt that we were, like, the first bloggers that were here. Yeah. I mean, if you consider yourself a blogger, which I do. you do. I remember the first podcast we did with you where we called you a reporter, and you scolded us. I did. I, now I have to kind of I have to kind of fit it, because, like, now I'm more of... I, I've, I have transitioned to where I am more comfortable with just being called, like, a writer. Uh, and I am a journalist in some senses. Um, but I yeah. will always feel... I will always feel like a blogger. Yeah. And I'm proud of that. Blogging's cool, man. Well, no, it it was. Now it's not, but it used to be. No, blogging is cool. What's what, what's not cool about it? <laughs> well, you're doing it, so that's bad. <laughs> hey, man, I ruin every party. I will never forget. A couple couple months ago, I was saying to I was sitting at practice and I was talking to to Matt or not Matt Adam and I forget who else. And I was talking about an article I wrote, a preview I wrote for Denver Stiffs, which was just 
a a screenplay of uh, Michael Jordan and Rich Cho talking. That was, that was a good one. I enjoyed <laughs> that preview. I remember. It. I remember Ben Swanson, uh, oh, Cardboard Joe, my favorite blogger of all time. No offense to anyone here. I, I love Ouch. all of you. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck yourself, King of the <laughs> But he he was like he's like God dang you did that well and then I said to I said to Adam I said like we had the freedom to do stuff like that back then and Adam's going like Are you kidding me? I th- I would People have freedom to, uh, to do that now and I'm like Oh it's not the same man you weren't you weren't there man. <laughs> <laughs> Old blogger stories. It, 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 really it, I will say it was better when there wasn't Twitter for accountability. So, yeah, because they used to be able to just do like whatever, and it was like, ah, eh, you get like a negative comment. Eh, that's fine. And now it's like, you are the devil. You are the worst. You know who's not the worst? It's Mason Plumley. Oh wow, he is quite good. Wow, that's a that's a that's a great segue. That's a veteran move right there. Really that segue. Wow. See, it's always weird because whenever you make a good segue, people have to bring up the fact that you're <laughs> good one, which takes away. Because from the there's a juicy middle so, where you don't bring it up. Yeah. That's because Perfect. most segues are clunky. <laughs> it's like it's like you're celebrating. It's like you're celebrating after a dude euro steps into a, into an alley oop, yeah. and you're just celebrating while the ball sails over your head. And you're like, just catch the ball and dunk it, man. Like, just be cool. Just, That's why I will say the the best thing about LeBron James. I said this the other night. Le- LeBron James's fadeaway three to tie the game versus the Wizards. The best part about it was that he didn't celebrate. He just ran <laughs> back on defense. They called timeout. He hugged his teammates. That was it. Like I do this all the time. There's two takes. There's pressures you could do. You could do that, or you can hold some sort of circus. And certain teams that might be in the building right currently choose that route. Ah, yes. Ooh. But let's talk about the list. I want to talk about this trade. I'm excited. Yeah, let's talk about the trade. We do have, uh, we, we got to speak with Tim Connolly for, for about 10 minutes, 10 to 12 minutes um, after his press conference. Got some, some words from him about Mason Plumley and, and why they did the deal, uh, why they shipped out Nurkic and the first round pick, as well as why they targeted Plumley. So let's go ahead and listen to that, and uh, we'll be right back. This trade came down. Um, it seemed like Nurkic was. In publicly, at least, heading for a departure from the team. Um, what was your motivation in doing this, and what were you thinking going into it with getting someone like uh, Mason Plumlee? Yeah, uh, certainly, I think it was probably time for a fresh start for, for Nurk. Um, he's a really good guy. He kind of fell out, falling out of the rotation. Uh, certainly, he was frustrated with it. So um, we're always cognizant of, of trying to uh, have a locker room of, of guys that, that want to be here and. Um, you know, going in third year, he had a, he's had a rocky year starting the season. Now, not playing much recently. We're also um, we always try to attempt to, to if guys are good to us, we try to move them to the best case uh, scenarios. We think Portland's a great spot for him. They've long liked him, and I think um, he'll do great up there. Um, in terms of Mason, well, there's certain attributes that we're it really oftentimes stems from draft conversations. When we go into these meetings, we talk about needs and deficiencies, and we consistently talked about um, uh, vertical threat at the rim, a guy who can catch lobs and, and play above the rim. Um, you know, Kenneth can do that. He's probably the only guy on our team who does that consistently. Um, high IQ guys, um, ball movers. It's been really enjoyable to watch the offense take flight, um, and our coach has done a fantastic job. Um, I'll, I'll creating space and allowing kind of a free-flowing offense has been as good as any in the league since we made the lineup change when we call it the five. Um, and just rock-solid uh, locker room guys that are selfless. Um, so when we had these conversations, 
and whether it's a draft or whether it's trades, whether it's free agency, you know, there's few guys that check all those boxes, um, and, and Mace is one of them. Um, and he might be the only guy in that in that age curve that checks all of them. Quite frankly, he's not an older guy. Um, so we were unbelievably excited about the possibility of Adam here. I think he's a great complement to what we have presently. He can play with or without all our front court guys. Um, and in speaking to so many former teammates or coaches. Anybody that's had experience with him, it's he's one of the most popular guys everywhere he's been because of his selfless approach and because of his energy. I mean, he doesn't take plays off and um, playing an up-tempo style, uh, you know, kind of a Denver brand of basketball. I think his game fits perfectly. Do you guys have any idea if he'll be comfortable in a role as a, as a backup here in Denver? Yeah, that's up to Mo. I don't, you know, I get the players. It's up to him who starts and who doesn't start. Um, I, I think. Uh, what I what I know about Mason is that he wants to win. He wants to be part of winning, and he's he wants to be a, a, a guy that plays a large role. I know he can we can check all those boxes and make him happy in that regard. I also know he's entering a, a free agent year where we own restricted rights, and we did this trade to keep him. You know, he's gonna, he's going to be a guy that we're quite confident being in a Nuggets uniform for a long time. So I, I think those things play out naturally. Um, he hasn't even gotten here yet. Um, I'm, you know, coaches haven't even seeing what he'll look like with all our other pieces. So I think it would be premature to say what his specific role will be. I just know he'll be impactful. Kind of a crazy, I read Jason Quick had an article where he got his car broken into before he found out yeah. about the trade, so he's trying to prevent, prevent identity theft plus get to Denver. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, I mean, it's it was just 6'11 in the NBA. I, mean, I guess it would be hard to steal his identity. That would be a, a bad break-in. Um, but, yeah, I didn't know about it. I talked to him yesterday. He was extremely excited. He he thanked us for being so aggressive. Um, he knew that we gave up quite a bit. A very good young player, first-round pick. So he was fired up. Um, he's ready to hit the ground running. He'll be landing in Denver momentarily. We have to do uh, jump through a couple uh, medical hurdles. Um, and then um, I don't think he'll be in uniform tonight, but and we'll have him on the practice court tomorrow, and he'll be a huge part of the, the last third of the season. Just kind of going through some highlights of him, I noticed a couple plays, one against DeMarcus Cousins, one against Jimmy Butler, where he kind of got in their face after you know he was fouled hard on one and, and uh, tripped on another play. Does he bring a sense of toughness as well that this team could use? Yeah, absolutely. I think he's uh, he's an extremely aggressive and tough-minded player. I think when you talk to his teammates in, in Portland, um, they'll vouch for that, that he's kind of a protector. He's a team-first guy. I know I've read some articles where he's mentioned uh, – how important KG was to his development in Brooklyn. Um, you won't find a more ferocious competitor than KG, and I think um, Mason tries to um, emulate that similar approach in the court, where it's you know it's us, us versus you guys. No friends here. I got these guys back, and, and let's let's get out there and um, compete. I think one of the big criticisms I saw just from fans or media people online was having to give up a first-round pick along with Nurkic. You guys already have the young team. You have your own first-round pick still. Was it really that big of a deal to give up that pick? Well, first-round pick's important. We just finished our scout meetings last week where now those picks, you know, 22 or 23, um, where it sits presently, we think it will be in the 20s, 20 to 24 is our guess. Um, you start putting names next to those numbers, and it becomes a, a, a bit less intriguing. Um, not because they're not really good players there, but if you look at our roster, if we just stay as is going into next season, you have Jamal and Emmanuel, you have Gary. You have, uh, we think Will Barton's still a relatively young, I mean, he's 26, but in terms of playing, he's relatively young. You have Wancho, you have Nicola, you have Malik Beasley, you have Rome Pick. You're up to seven or eight guys <laughs> that have played three or less years in the NBA. 
Um, you remove Will from that group, none of them will be over 23. Um, there's a real concern about cannibalizing your own young talent. I think there's some cautionary tales right now. In, in the last several years, the teams have had so many picks, and several of them fall by the wayside, whether they're released, whether they're traded, whether they don't see enough court time to develop properly. So we, in no way was it something we did lightly. It's a first-round pick, a lot of value. But we were also very concerned about adding a, two more young guys, and that's not even taking account of two second-round picks. And we have two guys overseas that are matriculating. We think we have a chance. So um, it, it wasn't painless by any stretch. The first round picks, you know, it's a real asset. We also like that we got a second round pick in 2018 coming back. Um, so you know, essentially, you're dropping from the 20s and 17 to wherever that may be in 18. Um, so I, I don't want to minimize the worth, but I think the the worth theoretically at times is a bit more than when you start putting names next to it and you start putting your two deeps up and you, and you say, geez, how can Malik Beasley, the 22nd pick in the draft and the 15th pick in the draft, all make it? Uh, how can we give a roster to Mo where you have eight, pretend, you know, eight or nine first, set, first second, third-year players? Um, so, and then when you look at the list, the draft list, and the free agent list, and look at some of the deficiencies that we have presently, and that w- that we wanted to address this off season. I think in unison, that's when it became crystal clear this deal made a ton of sense. Uh, the most important question, I think, is: um, Have you seen the rap video that he did? You know, it's funny. I did not, but someone told me. So, uh, I, I, someone told me he's a big hip hop guy, and I mentioned that on the phone. I said, it, "I heard you share my affinity for hip hop, but I think he's more current than old school." But uh, I've heard that he's a uh, he's uh, pretty diverse in his musical taste. Well, in, the, in, the in the interview, in the uh, video, he's got a uh, money gun. Uh, money gun. A money gun. Is that that's I, like strip clubs, or I, I guess so. Yeah. I, I've never seen anything like that's the first time I've ever seen it. And so it shoots out money. like how. I just like it was like this gun, it's like this brown gun, and it was just like this. Door I tell you, our research was obviously a little lax in this trade. We talked to teammates and these <laughs> players, but we didn't know he had a money gun. Well, this, I, this was obviously Brooklyn too. So yeah, I mean, it was. Uh, he's, you no, know, he was with some guy who was like rapping, and he was wearing a Ranger shirt. Yeah, and then he got the last verse, which was any know, good? Uh, you know, I wouldn't. He's about as good as J.J. Riddick, I'm sure. But. Yeah. What was the uh, rap down back there? It was Cedric Sambalos and those so, guys. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah Cedric Sambalos. Yeah. Throw that one out there. Shaq Fu or not. Um, What's the most interesting thing yeah. about Plumlee that maybe the casual fan doesn't know? I don't know if this is true, but um, I was told our, our – I think this is a, a joke, but this morning I was told that our international Scott Raffle was pretty excited. He saw Warsaw and he thought Warsaw Poland. He was like, hey, he's – it was actually Warsaw, Indiana. Um, so I don't know if they, that was that was an overheard conversation. I'd like to believe it's true, just for my own entertainment. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know. I mean, he's he's got all the background. Just been so good, and you keep hearing the two words selfless and warrior. Um, they did, he really. It sounds cliche, but he's really only cares about the competition and the winning. Uh, and I don't think you have enough of those guys in that room. <laughs> I think when you look at. Uh, Kenneth and Darrell and Cola, four very unique skill sets, um, and I think they'll all benefit from this addition with his passing and his ability to to, to make quick athletic plays in the rim. I was fit like part of this. Was this one of the first trades you've made since you've been here, where it's like 
mentality was we need to have someone who fits specifically with Nikola Jokic in mind and and like players like has he changed that kind of equation for you? That's a great question. Yeah, I think you would be kind of short-sighted to not look at what Nikola has done over the last whatever it's now been, you know, a month and a half, two months yeah. and, and not let every move be guided by largely that question. Does it help him? Can it potentially hurt him? How does it fit next to him? Um, and not just in terms of skill set, also mentality, work ethic, uh, locker room presence. So, yeah, I, I do think it was impactful. I do think um, looking at that free agent list, looking at draftable guys in that range, um, I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a better fit um, in terms of what we need and then kind of to, uh, an accent to what Nicola does. Um, I think certainly... Um, Guys who can make quick decisions, guys who can move without the ball, guys who um, are, are, don't clog the lane too much, and finally, also, I think when you're he's a, you know, Plumlee, just like Kenneth, is an above the rim finisher. That, that is, he's a guy that can um, make it a whole lot easier to finish those passes that not just Nicola throwing, but the whole team is throwing. What sort of happens once this trade becomes official? When do you guys have talks with with Plumlee or his agent uh, Mark Bogostin? I think um, about maybe bringing him back next year. When do the contract talks, how does that go about? Yeah, I mean, there'll be no contract talks now. I mean, there's nothing we can do, but um, I've got a good, very good relationship with Mark. Um, one of Mark's um, uh, guys who work for Mark, Andy Schiffman's a, a, a good buddy. Um, so uh, we're very transparent. We're, we're doing this to keep him here long term. We're not giving up a, a very talented 22-year-old player, uh, first-round pick for, for a rental. And, it, you know, if if this guy was 31, 32, we wouldn't do a trade like this. If we didn't have restricted rights, the price wouldn't be so high. We, 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 we wouldn't give up what we gave up. Um, the restricted rights, huge part of this deal. We, we control the landscape. And, you know, you never know how the market's going to develop. Um, what's great for both Mason and the organization is there's a get-to-knowing process now where if we were trying to sign him in the offseason without restricted rights, obviously it would be up to Portland. They could say, they can match any offer. It's also very difficult to coldly pitch someone at the free agent yeah. market. So I think um, we're, we're confident he's going to be in Nuggets for a long time. We think he's an, another great additional core piece to what we're building. Um, but those conversations won't become specific till the season's over. But what happens right when the trade is announced, uh, or even you know uh, leaked, uh, you talk to those guys and you let them know that this is what your vision is, and we'll talk details later. All right, that was Tim Connolly, the Denver Nuggets general manager. We thank him for his time. Very pumped up, I would say, about this deal. Uh, he's excited about getting the, the 26-year-old Plumley, versatile player in, in many ways. How did you guys see this deal? I, I think one thing that I noticed on Twitter yesterday was there was a wide opinion about this deal. And it seemed like people that were, uh, Adam, I think you tweeted this, people that were kind of maybe Nuggets bloggers or Nuggets reporters around the team seemed to like it, national guys and and other bloggers it, it was hit or miss i think yeah i think the the sticking point is the cost of what they got up, what they gave up and the cost to denver is super low what they got rid of are things that denver really didn't need in any capacity but the opportunity cost is really the question could they have gotten something more a, a different deal um somebody threw out a good idea could they have given up a second round pick in Nurkic for andrew bogut and then you don't worry about you still have your first pick or whatever Personally, I love the deal. I think Mason Plumley brings the – I mean, all, all the talking points have kind of been hit on, but he, he has continuity. He plays similar to Jokic. He's a really good locker room guy. 
I think they can get him. I think they're going to pay him a lot of money next year, but I don't necessarily think that's going – I think there's a way that they can make it work. And so I really like the deal. And, yeah, I think people that, that take more of an outsider's view look at it as, oh, you never give up a first-round pick to get rid of a guy or whatever. And, and to me, it's like the Nuggets weren't going to use that pick. They didn't want it. They didn't want Nurkic. He was absolutely a zero for the Nuggets. So I, I liked it. Matthew? I think he hit on it here in that um, the problem is I, do, I write about this a lot. There's market value and investor value. And the idea is that for an, that an asset has a different value for the person investing in it than it does across the market. Stan Van Gundy talked about this on a podcast with Zach Lowe about how a player that the Pistons want, they're willing to pay more for because they want him and he is valuable to what they're doing versus his objective value across the league. Mm. Is Mason Plumley worth Yusuf Nurkic, a promising 22-year-old center, and a first-round pick? No. But for the Nuggets and their situation and what Nurkic was providing and what that pick was providing them, absolutely, because of what Plumlee brings to the table, which we can talk about in a second. That, I think, is a concern. The other issue is that tra- Plumlee's RFA status has got a lot of people's underwear up in a bunch because the idea is why would you trade Nurkic and a pick for an asset that you could lose in restricted free agency? Or if you don't, you then have to overpay. I tried to make the point. I was like, look, they are so far under the salary floor that they can pay whatever, and it's not going to hurt them. And if you say, but eventually it will, well, yeah, but that's two, three years down the line, and by that time, you can trade Mason if that becomes a problem. Mason Plumley's value is not going to decline. Mason Plumley is not going to get into drugs and be out of the league. Mason Plumley's not going to, to just all of a sudden disappear. He's not a player that's based off of, like, his jump shot is not going to disappear, and then all of a sudden he's useless. Mason is going to be a useful player to some degree. He could be great. He could be okay. He could be fine somewhere in there, no matter what. So he's going to be reach, reach, like tradable again. And honestly, guys on longer-term deals, which the Nuggets are going to sign him to, those guys are easier to deal than guys on, on, that are expiring because of the very thing that we're talking about. So it's a market inefficiency that you can take advantage of. The first-round pick thing, everyone freaks out about first-round picks. And let me tell you the secret of the first-round picks. First-round picks have the most value right now. You want to know why? They are a theoretical player. They are theoretically Kawhi Leonard. They are theoretically Tony Parker. They are theoretically whoever. But that Memphis pick was going to be 21, 22, 23. The Memphis Grizzlies are not going anywhere. Mike Conley went down, and they won 7-10. to 10. That team is, and I know that's got to frustrate Nuggets fans, but that team is unkillable. That's why that asset was never that valuable in the first place. Right. That pick was never end. So what you're talking about is you're talking about bringing in a kid that let's say that there's nobody there but you're like the best guy that we have available is a shooting guard okay what are you gonna do you're gonna tra- you're gonna draft him and now he's behind jamal murray <laughs> jamal murray will barton jameer nelson uh amalik beasley <laughs> yeah. all those guys and you can't upgrade in free and free agency because you can't do that because you say well i got all these guys are gonna play even if you have a d-league team it still, it still doesn't really help you because you don't know when that guy's gonna be able to contribute to your team so there really is no value there so i think for what they gave up they got great return the concern i think is Adam pointed out that everyone that covers this, this team loves it. Okay, but there you have to be you have to be cautious of that too, because that means you could be too close to the situation. This is a little bit different though, because the reality is, Yusuf Nurkic' attitude and performance was the worst kept secret in Denver, and nobody really wrote on it, and nobody really because it's hard to write on the fact that like, his teammates were never going to slag him. That's not the culture here. His teammates were never going to come out and be like, "I'm sick of the Yusuf Nurkic, Nurkic always pouting. I'm sick of his attitude." And Michael Malone is never going to do it either. Michael Malone never really went out of his way 
he the only thing he ever said about Nurkic, despite everything, was Nurkic doing great. He's taking it like a pro. He's ready to contribute. He's we told him to stay ready. All of those things. He's he even shielded him when Nurkic came out and gave those comments to Harrison Wind. He's done all of this. The organization stuck by him, so it was never going to get reported. But the secret was always very apparent. If you watched using Nurkic's body language, you knew that this was a guy that could not handle the swings of not being an NBA star. He wanted to start. He wanted the ball. He wanted usage. And this is not a, that was never going to work here because guess what? He's not that good. They have other good players. And more than anything, Nikola Jokic is by far the most promising big man in the NBA right now under the age of 22. I want to get into specifics on, on Plumlee's game. Uh, but first I want to ask you guys, I think Jeff and myself, we cover the, the Nuggets or know the Nuggets probably more than we know the league. You guys, Adam and, and Matt, you guys cover the league. Did you guys expect Plumlee to get traded? It sounded like from reading Jason Quick's article that the Blazers almost, I don't know if they assured his agent he wouldn't be, but it didn't sound like they were prepared for him to get moved. Mm-hmm. Were you guys surprised that Plumlee got dealt? <laughs> dealt? Sorry, that's funny. Uh, so <laughs> I would say I'm not surprised, and the reason I'm not surprised is I talked to somebody uh, that's not with the Blazers, that is with uh, another team, and they said the indication, I, and these are always, I'm always skeptical of them because a lot of teams will, te- will feed stuff to try and get it out there to create situations. Um, I was told, though, that um, – the idea was they know they have to do something, and they're not trading Dame, and they're not trading CJ, and nobody else is gonna like nobody else has value. The one guy that you have on that roster that has value is Mason Plumlee, uh, and he's expendable because the biggest thing is their issue is defense. That's their big problem. Mason Pl- and this should be a, a, this should be a legitimate concern for Denver Nuggets fans. Mason Plumlee has the worst on-off defensive rating split of any player on the on the Portland Trailblazers. The defense is at its worst when Mason Plumlee has been on the floor. There are a lot of reasons for that. And it's a very complicated thing that I've tried to kind of unwind, and it's messy. But if you're going to move somebody, you don't look at Mason Plumlee and go, we absolutely cannot win without him. You look at the, If you're the Blazers, you look at it and you go, if Yusuf Nurkic can just pass the ball, which is going to be a question mark, uh, and he can just be solid defensively and just give us a little bit of attitude down low, that will help us more than what Mason Plumlee is giving us right now. Did you find it surprising, Adam, that they, they moved him? I did, but in hindsight, I shouldn't have. I'm, I'm, I really don't think about salary cap and like keep those things in my head uh, throughout the year. When you look at it, obviously it jumps off the page. When you look at this team, just like Matt said, they couldn't afford him. They were going to lose him for nothing. So in hindsight, it's like, oh, it's obvious that he was a, a trade target and somebody um, that, that teams could go after and, and lure away. So uh, I, I was surprised, but I shouldn't have been. And Jeff, I know we, we were talking about this uh earlier there was rumors obviously the nuggets and you know i don't know how much they were the nuggets and jaleel okafer you know this rumor kind of gets floated out there what did you make of that and then light of this trade happening literally i think a day later well i think sometimes as matt was saying sometimes people say stuff and sometimes situations aren't exactly what they seem sometimes interest is inflated due to other factors and i think if you look at this situation maybe there was a you know let's play the game. And I think the part of the Jalil Okafor situation was playing the game. I don't think there was really any significant real interest from the Nuggets for Okafor. He wouldn't have made sense with the roster. And I think that there was some confusion expressed from many of the NBA intelligentsia about what, about why the Nuggets were being linked to um, Okafor. I'll just say Okafor. Um, and I think that that Part of that is like you look at it and say, well, you know, sometimes you just are part of the game. And I think Okafor was part of the game in that sense. 
Do you guys like this move for Denver better than, say, or how does this move compare if, if Denver would have traded for Paul Millsap instead, a guy that you know was obviously on maybe the team's radar, fans obviously were looking at that deal earlier in the season. Uh, Plumlee obviously younger than Millsap, different position. How does this – is there any anything – would you rather Millsap than Plumlee, or do you like Plumlee over Millsap, or does that even matter? Does that even factor into it? It's so hard to compare those two guys – in my opinion, I'll tell you, I'm so intrigued by Plumlee in this regard. I've been a huge proponent of playing dribble handoff basketball with your centers and playing them, you know, more up top than down low. Now the Nuggets are going to have two guys theoretically for years to come that excel at that type of, of offense. And I do wonder, and one of the things I'm kicking around, and I'm, I'll probably be kicking this around for months, is to what extent does this style of basketball make average offensive players above average? Not great, but I just keep thinking if players like Kid Gilchrist, for example, could become a useful, serviceable small forward because he's such a great defender, but then on offense, he's a good cutter around always having a center that can pass and hit that cut. So I'm intrigued because I think it, it makes the Nuggets a very, very unique basketball team, and I'm very curious to see what how they're going to be able to build the other pieces around it, especially if they end up having to pay two centers a lot of money. Matt, what would you thought of that? If, if they would have traded for Millsap instead of this Plumlee deal, would you have liked Millsap here? I don't even know if there's any way to. Yes. I, mean, I know you love Millsap. But... I mean, he's an NBA all-star. And <laughs> right. he is a, like, he transforms your team in terms of very subtle ways. Like, the reverberations would be much greater. Um, he's freaking, he's so good. He is Millsap so is good. Let me put it good. this way. Paul Millsap makes Emmanuel Moutier better. Mason Plumlee is not going to make Emmanuel Moutier better. Um Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap will make Nikola Jokic better. That Mason Plumlee sure. can benefit from being on the floor with Nikola Jokic. He's not going to make Nikola Jokic considerably better. Um, uh, Paul Millsap. Paul Millsap would, would do things for Wilson Chandler, being able to play him at three more, not having to play him at the four. Uh, Paul Millsap improves your defense. Paul Millsap. He's a unquestionable like he is unquestionable in terms of his character. Like so is Plumlee, honestly. But like Millsap's a leader. Like he has been the best player on a playoff team for years. Um, so it's not really comparable to compare those two guys. And the only reason I really bring it up is I just saw some people tweeting yesterday, like kind of disappointed that the Nuggets didn't make a bigger, a move, bigger move. You know, obviously they look. They still need to. Right. They still need to make a big move. They still need. To, they they need to turn some of these assets into an upgrade and they need it to be a two-way player. They need more two-way players on this roster so that they look, they have the 30th ranked defense. They may make the playoffs, but they are not going anywhere long-term unless they drastically alter this team's defensive identity. And that goes with scheme and it goes with approach and it goes with mentality, but it also goes with personnel. And those things have to change, too. Don't you think they have time, though, for the big move? I mean, don't, don't teams get into trouble when no. they have a young Nikola no. Jokic and Jamal no. Murray and they... No. I mean, Omer Ashik was like, know, we, know, we need a defensive because, center. Because eventually you wait. Because here's the thing. If next year they hit a slide, if they regress next year... Like, this team is 30th in defense this year. What if they, yeah. what if they regress next year? Now, all of a sudden, Mike Malone's on the hot seat. Now, all of a sudden, you're wondering, like, how good is any, is, are any of these pieces... And you you really are looking at the Orlando Magic are the cautionary tale. Yeah. Pelicans to a degree, maybe. 
But yeah, because there's that there's cautionary tales for waiting too long, and there's cautionary tales the other way. I mean, just imagine, just an example: if the Nuggets had thrown a bunch of money to Chandler Parsons, for example, and then it doesn't work out, now you've got four years of that, and he kind of sets you in a four-year stagnation. So my point is, I do think you're right. The Nuggets are going to hit a plateau defensively with the guys they have on the roster. But do they have like a two-year window or a year window even to kind of say what's our I, move? I agree. My only my only hesitation is this. These opportunities are so rare to come about. If you have an opportunity to add a guy that is a top 20, top 50 NBA player in the league, you need to take your shot. You really need to take it because you don't know when the, the next one's going to come available. And if you keep getting – and the other thing is this team has, has historically, under Tim Connolly, as much respect as I have for the way he's run it, they have waited and waited and waited. They waited on, on the, the Ty Lawson trade, and that burned them. They have waited on the Kenneth Fareed trade, and that continues to be kind of hang over. I mean, look, the front court does not get any less crowded. They're I mean, still going to have, like, if anything, it gets more complicated because now you've got Plumlee, who's going to take the center minutes that Fareed was pro- playing probably, and some of his four minutes because they want to see Plumlee and Jokic together. And so now either you're playing Kenneth Fareed less entirely to play Wilson Chandler, or you're not playing Wilson Chandler at four when that's been effective. So these problems do not get solved. And if you keep waiting, you miss opportunities to do upgrades. Daryl Morey is a good example of a guy that sees opportunity and he pounces. If he sees a, an opportunity to get a guy, he goes for it. He goes for that, for, for that approach. He's been active constantly in trades in part because of it. Now, the trade market as a whole has been stagnated. It's been blanketed since the last CBA. I've written about this on CBS about how if, you have, if all the guys are on shorter contracts, four years, three years, two years, all the teams are like, well, we don't need to trade him. We're gonna, he's going to be off the roster anyway. We'll just use the cap space and sign somebody who's an upgrade. Now, I don't agree with that because in my mind what you wind up doing is you wind up paying for what you think a guy will be versus what he is. And now you're, just, you're basically like, oh, instead of trading for a guy in a reasonable contract, I'm going to overpay him. And that's, gonna, like, that's, that's worse to me. So those are all things that kind of factor in. I love the trade for them. I love the Mason Plumlee trade for them. I think it's really smart. There's a lot of ways I think it's really, really smart that I would love to talk about. But I do continue to think that if, if at the de- – I don't think this will happen. I think the trade deadline is going to be dead quiet. But I think if there's an opportunity for them to get a major upgrade, they need to take it. Let me ask you both this, uh, Adam and, and Matt. I'll start with you, Matt, uh, Adam. What – Madam. Madam. <laughs> Madam. I'll start Harris. with you, Madam. Yes. Um, what if the Nuggets – take a different approach and say, all right, we're going to go all in with what we've got here with like offense and basically say, screw it. We're <laughs> just going to go. We're just going to make this as elite as we possibly can. So they alter their defensive approach to play more lanes, play, get more steals. You know, Gary Harris is perfectly capable of filling that role. Is there a, an opportunity for the Nuggets if they kind of go this way, at least for the rest of this season, to kind of go all in on that approach and just say, we're going to be basically as frenetic as we possibly can and just try to get as many steals as we can, play defense to offense like, you know, say what George used to do, uh, George Carl used to do, and see if they can do that approach. Um, I, I know Michael Malone has that has issues with that particular approach, but if they kind of go that way, if they go all in on offense, is that something that they can do for the, like at least the remember well, there was, the There's a pretty interesting quote too that uh, Malone had that he said his dad Brendan gave him when he said, "Maybe your best defense is your offense." Yeah. So with this team, I think it yeah. definitely is. Look, <laughs> I, I 
I don't want to be characterized as thinking that it's a scheme only issue. I think it's twofold. I think it's the scheme is not ideal, and I think that the players are just terrible individual defenders, especially around the perimeter containing dribble penetration. And those are things that I think are going to take time, yeah. but also intense focus. In my opinion, these guys need to work on uh, on their footwork on one on one defense, but. I do think there's something to the fact that the Nuggets started trapping pick and rolls and hedging hard and playing lanes. And look, if you're going to be the worst defense, be the worst defense. The, if you're going to gamble for steals, at least you'll get transition opportunities, and those are important in and of themselves. So the reason you don't gamble from play passing lanes and be aggressive on traps is because it hurts your defense. Nuggets defenses get scored on anyway, so you might as well try to get – I mean, they had what one forced one turnover. Was it the Atlanta game in the entire <laughs> yeah. first half? Uh and then they come back from being down 20 at the half when they started to be more aggressive. So, in my mind, they're not going to be a good defensive team this year. I just don't see it happening. Yeah. So, might just as well for the rest of the season. I, yeah. That thought's been rumbling around my head because it's, it's just there's no, there's no magic elixir to fix this defense the way it is. And even with they make a trade, it's just it's going to take time. And I think if you're going to do it for the rest of this year, you gotta you gotta do it. I don't agree. Uh, I agree for a couple of reasons. What Adam's talking about is the same thing the Milwaukee Bucks have done. Uh, they use that trapping scheme and they overload. Uh, the, and that worked for about a month, and then teams started figuring it out. And once they start figuring it out, uh, it goes downhill. Now you could say, well, the, but the Bucks don't have the Nuggets offense. Well, they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who I think we would all agree is probably better than any player on this roster, including Nikola Jokic, at least right now. Disagree, hardly. Oh, okay, I agree. Um, <laughs> On top of that, I would say the bigger problem is that, look, if you're constantly giving up buckets, then you're constantly going against set defense. If you're constantly going against set defense, it's harder to score. This offense has been awesome. It's been great. But part of it also is, like, it's going to get – these next two months are tough because this is the grind. And you're going to be playing teams that have playoff intentions, and those teams are going to do their homework. And so they're going to know, like, hey – you got to keep an eye on Gary Harris. He's going to back cut every single friggin' time that Jokic has the ball. We're already starting to see it. The Knicks tried it. The Knicks are just stupid. The Knicks, actually, if you look, like they were literally yeah. playing off when Jokic caught the ball and were playing off to guard against his pass. Unfortunately, no one thought that they should actually guard Nikola Jokic at all, and he yeah. scored 40. Yeah. Um, I don't think that this team, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I don't think this team is necessarily all that great, actually, as a transition. Uh, I was about to say this is my hot take. I actually don't mind the Nuggets playing in the half court. Yeah. I think they're as effective as a that, half court offense as they are in a game transition. Where they, one. Just, they only had four fast break. It was points. New York. It was New York. 131 yeah. points, four <laughs> fast break points. Yeah. So 127 points in half court offense. That's God. just insane. Yeah, it actually, it only happened five times in like the last decade or half decade. Yeah. I can't remember. God, the Knicks somewhere, are bad. somewhere, uh, Ross Sharon is smiling. So, <laughs> but the, so this is the thing: is like you're not really embracing like the running gun approach. No. It's more of just surrender the defensive end and hope that you can generate enough offense on the other end. And if you're asking me, like, is it is it? I, I do agree. Uh, this is, here's a philosophical thing. There's a book called Good to Great, and it's from it's one of those management books that they that they put out. But it's got some psychology put into it that's really kind of fascinating. The guy's argument is that when you take over a company, don't try and fix the problems that they have. Find out what that t- company does well and do them great. Be great offensively. And then once you do that, then you can fix everything else down the line. There's value to that, especially in the short term. Is that enough to get them in the eighth seed? Look, it's been enough to get them there now. Yeah. The Pelicans are, tr- are trash. They can't get out of their own way. The Wolves are a disaster. Yeah. I looked at their March schedule, and it is a death gauntlet. Yeah. There is no way the Wolves are making the playoffs. They are done. 
the Kings are the Kings, and I have zero confidence in them of voting another meltdown. Cousins is going to be on the on the, the edge of another suspension the rest of the way, and Portland's defense is just as bad as Denver's. And they just traded for Yusuf Nurkic. And they just <laughs> traded for Yusuf Nurkic. So I think I think there's a very good possibility this team makes the eight seed no matter what they do, but. For me, I would still be focused on, look, let's see if we can't get down to 22. Let's see if we can't get down to 19. Let's see if we can't yeah. – let, let's take this offense and let's see if we can't get it to where this defense – because the Rockets did that. The Rockets to start the season, and like, yeah. oh, my God, their offense. And you look like, oh, their defense is terrible. The Rockets are now 11th in defense because they got their offense to be awesome and just kept chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And now the Rockets have a really sustainable thing. The Nuggets are not going to get there. That's not going to happen. They don't have Clint Capella. They don't have Trevor Ariza. They don't have all these guys. I do think that there's a possibility for swapping out pieces of trade that would get them the same. Because a lot of it, this is we know what makes this offense great. What makes this offense great? Jokic. And what makes Jokic great? His passing. And what makes the passing great? Cutting. The cutting. Cutting. You know what you don't need there? You don't need high-level offensive players. You need smart guys that can knock down shots and make plays. And those specific guys are the guys that are available in this trade market. And let me ask you, because this is the point I'm kind of getting at, because everybody keeps saying, can you pay two centers at all your money? And Mason Plumlee going to get $16 million, you know, next year. Can you pay a backup center that? And my thought is, yes, because some of the guys that work with those guys are guys that don't get paid that much money. The wings that are they're like a Roberson, for example, great defensive player, great cutter. And I'm not saying him specific. I'm just giving him as an example. He makes less money than his offensive counterpart, because offense gets paid and defense doesn't. So can the Nuggets pay their centers a lot and maybe take a million or two million per year off of the wing players because they're defensive-minded rather than offensive-minded? It's a question I don't know the answer to, but I'm curious. No, the cap situation would look a lot different if a lot of these guys were getting paid what they're actually worth. Like in a couple yeah. of years, Jamal Murray is going to be making a max contract. Mm-hmm. Gary Harris is going to is probably going to either he will probably be gone in all honesty because he's going to generate a max contract. Uh, you know, if Plumlee is on a four-year large deal. That's going to be complicated down the line. But again, we, we talked about you have time to kind of rectify that. Will Barton's not going to be on this $4 million deal forever. Yeah. Like, He's Will Barton, your left. Will Barton is, is, is criminally cheap on this roster. Like, mm-hmm. it's just like I legitimately feel bad for Wilson, for, for, for Will Barton, because of how little he is paid relative to his value. Um, and that's not against the Nuggets or him or any. It's just like, it's just a t- like, I'll be excited for him and free agency. Um, you know, Daniel Gallinari is going to probably demand, if not a max, he's going to demand $20 million plus. It's like $20 million on your cap sheet is a lot of money. So For an offensive, for, for an offensive like, specialist. If it's, if, if it's, if it's Gallo at, at four years, $80 million, plus Plumlee at four years, sixty, and you're talking about investing $140 million in Danilo Gallinari and Mason Plumlee, now you have a problem where at some point, if, you're con- if you make – if you make multiple market overpays, the investor value does not equal out. Yeah. That's my fear, by the way. <laughs> this Gallo Plumley giant spending spree in a two month window, basically. And then the Nuggets are like, oh, God. <laughs> well, we got nothing left. So, I mean, they, well, that, that's the real danger because if they, make the, look, if they make the playoffs, you have to at some level commit to we have something good here and we don't want to take a step back. Because if you take a step back, not, here's the thing not only does taking a step back, is that bad for morale? Is it bad for development? But, in very realistic terms, it's bad for people's jobs. Oh, for Expectations sure. Expectations are what kill you in this in this thing. 
if they make the eight seed this year, they're going to be expected to be above 500 and challenge for the seven seed next year. And if they fail to reach that, Michael Malone will be under fire. Tim Conley will be under fire because that's how this league works. Do you see that with Portland? Like Portland made playoffs last year. This year may not get in. Is, yeah. is Terry Stotts and there's, there's been talk. There's already been talk around the league of how much longer is Paul Allen going to allow this team to underperform? Because God. this is the big deal is it looks like you were sold a bill of goods. That, because And I tried to say this last year. I said last year the Blazers yeah. are not good. They were 18-9 and nine in Jan- and Honestly, this is going to sound crazy. Nuggets fans, you need to be grateful you have not gone on a crazy winning streak. Be very grateful. The Blazers went on a run in January and February last year of 18-9. and nine. That's how they made the playoffs. If they had not gone on that run, this year wouldn't look so bad. It would just have been, oh, they, you know, they're about the same. They're trying to figure it out. But instead, last year it was, oh, they made the second round. Well, you made the second round because Chris Paul and Blake Griffin got hurt in the same damn game. You beat Austin Rivers. Congratulations. <laughs> Get out of here. Yeah. Managing expectations is really crucial. And if you want to talk about the biggest reasons to go with an all-youth movement, that's the biggest one, is that this team at the deadline just decided, look, our best players are Emmanuel Moutier. No, our Jamal Murray. We think Emmanuel might, might be good in a couple of years. Clearly, Jokic, Gary Harris, those guys. And they just invested wholeheartedly in the youth movement. One, I think the fans would actually be like, yeah, all right. Like, I'm excited now. And it would clear up a lot of the things because veterans expect to win games. They expect to win games. And this, this has been the problem with this, with this team is the veterans want to win games. The, the youngsters are still learning how to win. So can the Nuggets – can they – could they trade veterans at this deadline? Like, while they have the playoffs in their if you call Toronto, right, if you call Toronto right now, you will get something good in return for either for either Neil Gallinari or Wilson Chandler. The problem is you're dealing with Masai Ujiri, who Denver fans will know very well. That is a dangerous proposition. <laughs> yeah, because you could wind up on. You could be like, oh yeah, we got this good guy. And you're like, oh, he's not very good at all. And then the guy you trade is like, oh, he's like a starting caliber power forward. <laughs> Why did we give him Wancho too? What a yeah, exactly. Yeah, what did this <laughs> exactly. I think I think this is just just based on nothing. I I think if the Nuggets were <laughs> perfect, if the, this is just gut feeling, if the Nuggets were really really concerned about the Gallo thing, whether he stays here or not, they would have traded him last year. I'm not saying that they're concerned about it. I'm no, saying I'm, I'm saying I'm saying I'm saying it doesn't matter. Like you think you think they're willing to because lose it's Gallo going, in free agency. It, whether he's here, well, there's two things: either he's going to resign or he's going to go. I don't think the here's Nuggets the thing, consider though. that to be a necessarily a overriding factor to everything. But here's else. the thing, though: is like my concern is not about that. It's not about I, I don't give honestly. I think this whole thing about you got to get somebody, you can't just give him up for nothing. I think that's stupid. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. Sometimes players leave. You don't need to make a panic deal just because you're worried about not getting in. Because you know what? That's cap space. Turn it into other resources. To, like yeah. focus on other things. Find a player that complements one of your other good players better. There's all these options. But my concern is that. This, this organization has always shown unconditional love for Danilo Gallinari. No matter what, it has shown nothing but love for Gallo. Gallo has shown nothing but love for the city of Denver. Regardless of, how, of the, the on-court stuff, it's clear that Gallo wants to be in the city. He's made that perfectly clear. That is a recipe for a team overpaying a player based on loyalty. And if you commit massive resources to Danilo Gallinari, those are resources you cannot spend elsewhere. And this is the other thing. It's not just about the money you give him. It's about he's going to be on the floor with the same level of usage, wanting to stop the ball, wanting to isolate. None of what he does is conjunctive 
with what you're building towards with Nikola Jokic. This is not about Daniel Gallinari being a good player. I think he's been really good the last two months, actually. He's been really good. I think Gallo on the Raptors is going to murder people. I think Gallo on another playoff team is going to be one of those dudes that's like, oh, yeah, Daniel Gallinari is really awesome. Why never let him go? But you know what? I don't know that he can be that here. So they need to be focused on what they can do here. Well, that, that's what I'm, I'm saying, though. It's just like it, it's like... Like I said, if the Nuggets, if that was an overriding factor for them, and then you've brought up legit concerns, if it was an overriding factor, he literally legit when he was having a career year last year, statistics wise, he would have he would have been gone. It, I don't see a lot of like whether he's here or not. I don't see a lot of like we have to get something back for him, as you said. And Toronto is going to want to completely kill you in a deal. That's why I don't see any deal. I'd much rather see Denver, though. Like, if they're going to pay big money to a guy, like, try to sign Otto Porter to an offer sheet. That's my guy. It's not going to happen, but that's my guy. I'd max him. I would would give The first day of free agency, I would max Otto Porter. There's there's factors. I mean, it's hard with restricted free agency, as we're seeing with the old um, Mason Plumlee thing. You know, then one of the Nuggets... We got bring them in. They want they wanted that restricted free agency. If you want so. another reason to why they need to do a trade this at the deadline, Daniel Gallinari is number sixteen on my free agents list right now. That's how high he is. Almost all of that top ten are going to get re-signed. One of them already is Russell Westbrook. He was the, uh, on the last yeah. li- on the list yeah. I did. Like all of those guys are going to get re-signed. Most of the, the rest of those guys are not going to be on. So you're talking about your guy who you know is like, well, he's good. But the defense is sometimes not great, and he isolates, and he just wants to draw fouls, and he disappears for long stretches. That guy is like your 16th best free agent, and and realistically, he's probably like the best guy that you can get in free agency. And so you combine those two factors, and again, we're looking at an overpay versus I would look if you want if you want to keep Gallo and then re-sign him, that's fine. But then you need to trade Wilson and Jameer and get a good return back on on young talent to be able to offset that. Did you really? I mean, my thing with Gallinari is it's just like. Man, I, it feels like it's time. Like you pointed out, it's yeah. you know, he doesn't really fit with what you're trying to do. The age thing doesn't quite work. It's like, man, go, go, to, like make a keeping Gallinari to me kind of says that the team is worried about the fan base reaction. They want to keep the fan base, whatever there is. Well, but you got to make a good and basketball. I think, well, decision. I think that there's also the, the element of wanting to do right by a player with a powerful agent. Yeah. And to be able to say, we take care of our players and we do things right. This organization, for as much as there are concerns about the way that the front offices run or whatever else, look, the Nuggets have realistically, seriously done, invested themselves in taking care of their guys. Like, they sent Yusuf Nurkic to a place where he's going to get minutes. Like, yeah. they, have done, they have done right by guys. They, they got Randy Foy into a situation where he was contributing to a playoff team last year. They put a flaw with the Blazers last year. They too. put a flaw with the Blazers. They have taken care of, of players. That stuff does, like, players do appreciate that. Yeah. The, the, the difference is, like, they appreciate it and, like, oh, that's really good of you. You get a good reputation, not in terms of, a, oh, so I'm going to sign there. No, that's not how that works. <laughs> right. Yeah. So there's only so much. And so that's the question, right? Is like, should you be more ruthless? But have they done enough for Gallo? I mean, it's been a while. They've, they've, they've kind of done a lot for him. Is it, if they didn't, Resign him, or if they just said lowball him and to show they weren't interested, does that take away from the years of goodwill they have with him? From a player perspective, yeah. I see, that's to me. I don't know. To me, I feel like I could justify it, it but maybe know, players but, think different. I mean, I know players think differently. Well, players definitely think that it's like if you feel like you were loyal and a a team, and that's I'm not saying it's legit, but I'm saying if a team comes at you and says, "Well, you think you're only worth." Three years, forty-five million. 
those teams get bad reputations. Yeah, they do, and it's it's it comes back to haunt you. And well, it's but it's not it's not necessarily something Houston, that the Nuggets really have to worry about. Houston's the outlier here. I go back to Daryl Morey, and I don't just do that because like yeah. I'm a huge stan of his, but like Daryl sets a, a price point. He's done this. He sets a, he, uh, Aaron Brooks is a great example. So Aaron Brooks had like this career year like seven, eight years ago, and he was part of that team that won like 22 straight. Um, and oh, it was like, right. oh, man, like Aaron Brooks is awesome. And they went to him, and they were like, we are willing to pay you this. And they were like, but, but I did that. That's fine. We think <laughs> this is fair. If you can get a better offer elsewhere, that's great. Like we were happy for you. And he did. Now, Aaron Brooks is a career backup. He's okay. He's I like him. He's a good. He's a. Uh, he's been. He was great. I liked him. He's he was here, here for a couple months. Yeah, yeah. I liked him here. <laughs> like he's a. He's a. He's a firebug guard off the off the bench that can give you some points and does his thing. But Daryl Morey said no. You, this is worth this. Carl Landry, same deal. Carl Landry had all these years had this great rebounding rate. All of these things, the advanced metrics. Morey said, "You're worth this. This is how much you're worth to us." The point and the players and agents find that really offensive because it has no human value to it. It doesn't describe loyalty or those experiences or how the guy carried you when you were hurt. It's you provide X production, which is worth Y price to us. Mm-hmm. The difference, though, is that Daryl Morey has also managed his assets perfectly to where he was able to pull off the hardened trade. Like, Daryl Morey's never been hamstrung in trying to get what he wanted done. He has never been in that situation. Yeah. He always has flexibility. If there was an opportunity at the deadline, Daryl Morey could take a swing. He's still, even with a team as good as this one. My, my, my thing is... Mostly with a free agency, like I said, the Gallo thing is going to be something that's going to resolve itself. It's not something that I see as this going to be something that's going to be an overriding. We have to do something about this issue. I yeah, think, but it could. But be, they have to do. Something. I th- I th- but, <laughs> but, but it's like. But, but the, if they do something that could wind up later than being okay, now like now it's an issue because of the decision if that they, they made. If they sign that Gallo, it will not be for like an exorbitant. Wouldn't it be even deal. worse though if they signed Gallo? To but like I don't a, think I don't think that it's, it's going to be a position where it's. And I think, but the the point guard issue is far more concerning to me because we have a a young point guard that hasn't played up to what, where we thought he would be. But that's been an issue, and I think that for the future right now is is much more concerning. I think Gallo, whether he signs or doesn't sign, and if he doesn't sign, whatever, it's like you have Wilson. It's not that big a deal if he leaves. And if you sign him, they're not going to sign him for a, an exorbitant deal. The Nuggets, when was the last time they handed out an exorbitant deal? It's been years. Kenyon Martin, I think, was the last time they, they overpaid for someone on that level. So I mean, But they haven't been in this situation either. Yeah, but I, th- I don't think that Gallo is one of those players. It's just like they overpaid... For Kenyon Martin, because that's the only way he would come to Denver, right? Gallo has already said, "I will. I want to be here." You didn't get, if look, if they get a discount, awesome. And if they if they well, don't, and they, if they don't get a discount, well, what did Gallo say on? in that that Facebook post? Though he said he wanted to be here as long as Denver's a team that pays him the most. Is that how that translated out? No. Did, did what did he say? No. What Facebook post? You mean that that uh, video? Well, yeah, whatever Gallo just said when he was talking about how he wants to be in Denver to have his jersey retired. Oh, it says that as long as they want me. And I thought there was a line in there about as long and as, as far as I know. Hmm. Um, I'll do some research. I, <laughs> I don't believe so. But I, I, I don't think, but it's like one of those things, like if, they, if he wants too much money, they just move on. And I don't think they're going to be hurt by that because, you know, whether Gallo wants to be here or not, they have a they If, have a if they manage it right, then I think that's great. If they, like, because, I mean... Can you re-sign Gallo and then trade him a year later? 
No. Yeah. Can you though with Gallo? Yeah, you can. Given his age and injury history. Yeah, as long as he's as long as he doesn't have another. I mean, you. Mm. And look, it, it, anybody does that make it? If you look bad? if you resign Mason Plumley and then he tears his ACL, you're in the same situation. Like I don't have like there's no. Yeah. I know thing. Masai Ujiri did that here. He signed an A, traded him very short soon after for McGee. Uh, he signed a Flalo, traded him to the Magic very soon after he signed him, I think, the next season. To Does me, that hurt a team's perception? See, see that's what I was going to say. To me, that's the tougher move than just telling a guy, like, look, man, it's just not in our plan right now. But to sign him, him take, even if he takes a discount and he signs Especially. here, then you trade him, then it's like, man, that's doing a guy dirty. So, I don't know. Yeah, but they, they know what they're getting into. That's why players, like, that's why he has an agent. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, sure. that, that's why he has, by the way, a very powerful agent that I will sub- I, I will go on record as saying I am not convinced that Daniel Gallinari is going to take a pay cut in today's market. You never know. I, I don't think, if he doesn't, like I said, if he doesn't, there are plenty of teams that want him. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, he, he, his market is fine. Wouldn't it's it like be, he has would... no incentive to push for a trade. That's why, that's why uh, he's not saying. out there. Yep. I mean, it's, uh, there's no... It is what it is. Either he signs or he doesn't. And I would just be trying to get. Right. I would just be trying to get ahead of it. You're like, it's not going to hurt them either way. But I'm like, there's a, there's an opportunity here. Has my, been my thing. Is Gallo is one player on this roster that is expendable, and valuable, and those are very rare. This is true, but he's also an expiring contract in a league that doesn't have value. That's expired. true. So they're not. But if you're all, if, but but it. you're also looking at a bunch of teams still have cap space, and say so if you're looking at a team that has that capacity, like Boston is looking for upgrades right now. Like, they know that they're not getting – they're still holding out for Jimmy Butler. If Denver would have held on to that Memphis pick, they could have traded that and Gallo for Jalen Brown, according to – right? <laughs> according to Nate. <laughs> according I mean, to – I we, we saw so much yesterday about how the Nuggets were so dumb for trading this Memphis pick when it's – and we already talked about it, but it's like, you know, that pick wasn't going to get you Jalen Brown. I'm, I'm not convinced that you're going to get I've much. I've been trying to trade Gallo to Boston for Jalen Brown for yeah. weeks. I'm not, not convinced, I'm not convinced <laughs> that any. <laughs> Under no circumstances. Yeah, he's been on this Jalen Brown It's not Brown just Gallo. Like, we can give weeks. him all sorts of stuff. Dude, right? you want to know what you want to, if you want to get If you want to get Jalen Brown from Danny Ainge, you know what you're going to need? Your first rounder. Okay? Check. Done. Your next year's first rounder. Done. Done. Daniel Gallinari. Done. Done. And Jamal Murray. Nope, not done. What? Why would you have to give Jamal Murray? Time That's out. Danny Ainge. <laughs> Time out. <laughs> what about Malik Beasley? That's Danny Ainge. Sorry, Malik. One thing. <laughs> and see, and see if you tra- the market for Gallo basically is Boston and Toronto and maybe the Clippers who have literally nothing to give you. Toronto give up Powell so, for Gallo. So I mean, what? Would Toronto give up Powell for Gallo? <sighs> I don't. From what I've been told, no. I'm surprised at that, but I'm told no. That they're like, no, no, he's. We think he's too good, and I don't know. I don't understand what they think they're going to do here. And like, then see that sometimes the market dictates. That's why I keep saying the Nuggets should have traded him last year. Yeah, that was the time to do it, and it they All lost right. a big opportunity. So I mean, I want to talk about Plum Dog. Yeah, let's talk let's Plum Dog a little bit. And what I'm curious about with Plumley, we can talk about him offensively and defensively, as well as I know Adam called him this yesterday. He got a Jokic light comment just for his passing ability, but. Where do you guys want to start? Let's start defensively with Plumley. What is he? What is he strong at defensively? I even heard, and, and we can talk about this angle too. I heard a, a Blazers guy on the Locked On podcast with Adam Mares saying that perhaps the Blazers weren't the best screening team around, but I did see Matt Moore lauding Plumley for his screening ability. So let's start defensively though. Defense. Where is Mason Plumley going to help the Nuggets? Where could he hurt the Nuggets? I don't think he's going to be a Rudy Gobert. Um, but, you know, here's the, here's the thing 
that I keep hammering home. It's kind of the same idea, but the Nuggets, I, I talk about Jokic and how I think he can be a plus defender, and they just have, they get beat off the dribble and on pick and rolls every single time. The same thing happened in Portland. They had two of the worst guys at containing the ball, and so... You're talking you, Damian and McCollum. And McCollum. Yeah. And so, and they had guys like Alfred Camino who can play the wing defense, you know, as a stretch four or what have you, but, you know, I, I, I just think that those two things... Great rim protectors make perimeter players look good, and great perimeter players make rim protectors look good. Obviously, Plumlee's not an elite and you know rim protector, and but I do think that he's probably not as bad of a, a defender as maybe his numbers advanced indicate. his numbers indicate, and even the eye test. Because look, you put a guy in a in an unfavorable situation five times, and he makes the right read. You know, he makes a big play two out of five times. You're like, oh, that's not bad. You put him in thirty times. And he only makes the right read, you know, eight times. Then you're like, man, 22 times he got beat. And it's like, well, yeah, but that's how many guys can step up and make that play? It's it's it, it's tough. And I think I, I, for the Nuggets, I know for a fact that that the centers, both Nurkic and Fareed and and Jokic, everybody was put in unfavorable situations so often that, in my opinion, it made Jokic look bad. And I suspect the same thing happens with Plumlee. But we'll see. Uh, he, I think he's going to be. I, I will say this. I think he gives him a lot more flexibility defensively. Uh, in that, I think you can switch a lot easier with Mason Plumley than you can with some of the other bigs that they have. You so, can just flat switch him. Yeah, you can just flat switch, and switching is way easier. That's honestly just easier in general. That's one of the reasons it's so good. Like the Warriors are so good is because, hey, take the guy that like, I'm getting screened. Okay, I'm gonna go to the other guy. Um, I think you can screen a lot more effectively, or you can switch a lot more effectively with Plumley. Uh, guarding stretch fours has historically been a nightmare for this team because Kenneth Reed sucks at it. Like I'm just gonna not, right. not I'm not even gonna like mince words. Like Mike, Michael Malone knows this, the coaching staff knows this, the GM knows this. Kenneth Reed sucks guarding guarding stretch fours. He's done a better job this year than I've ever seen him do. I will say that he has done a a much better job. Kenneth is always gonna want to go for the rebound and he's always gonna want to go for the chase down block. You can't do that <laughs> if you're gonna, guarding the guy in the corner. Like that's what opens it up. I think Plumlee will be much more responsive to sticking to his assignment. Now that can lead to You're more. You're talking stuff. about him as a power forward. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's going to play power forward. Michael Malone like said that basically that that like they they see him as playing. He's defensively he's going to play four when he when he's on the floor with Jokic. Which is I mean that Makes may sense. only be a, a few minutes, but even in one five pick and roll, it's the same kind of deal. And he can contain. He's got the length. He's he's mobile. I went back and was trying to figure out what the hell the problem was with the Blazers' defense. And, yeah, CJ's a disaster, and Dame's even more so. Like, Damian Lillard may literally be the worst the worst starting defender in the NBA outside of the Lakers at this point. That's when Moody is coming off the bench, right? Ooh. Sorry. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I'm not as hard on him as... I'm, not, flames. I am, <laughs> I'm incredibly hard on him. I am not as mean on him as some people in this room are. Um <laughs> I think that there's capacity. I still, I think a lot of it is I still see capacity for him to do things. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and he yeah. just doesn't like a lot of it's just mental. And I forgive young guys mental stuff. Right. Um, I think Plumlee can do that. The thing is, though, is um, Plumlee. The problem that you're going to have is multiple rotations. It's multiple. There's this thing of coach talk about multiple efforts. There's multiple mental efforts, and Plumlee's not good at multiple mental efforts. Hmm. Because it's very difficult. It's very difficult to realize I can't jump at this because they're just going to rotate the ball because I sense this guy behind me. I got to make sure that I show so that he doesn't try it, and I got to accept that he's going to take the floater versus committing fully. One of his Plumlee plays hard. Kenneth and Mason Plumlee are alike in this regard, and, Ken, and Michael Malone kind of talked about the similarities between them. 
they both play extremely hard. You know what happens when you play hard? You make more mistakes because you're try- <laughs> you're so focused on what to do. Now you, the the veterans know that if you want to play really, if you, like the best way to play hard is play smart, focus, focus, and make the right read. But Plumlee, I've seen him do this where he'll make the first rotation and the second rotation, and then he blips on the third, and they give up a layup, and that's a problem. So there's all these kind of things that you can do. I think that switching, I think the stretch fours is big. Those are the areas that he can help you. Um, rebounding will be an interesting one because it should be. I will say this. The defense should be better with Mason Plumley on the, on the floor based on the eye test. The fact that it hasn't been, we're going to find out a lot about whether it was Portland's scheme and their personnel or whether it was. And now there's a problem is if it's bad here, you're going to say, well, it could be that Mason's bad. Could be the Denver scheme is bad. What's it going to be? The reality is that they should do more of what they've been doing. And Harrison Wynn wrote a really great thing on this about they need to blitz, blitz with your big, yeah, blitz. I agree with you on the regard of of, of trapping and sending more help. I still think that there's like you got to. It's only in pick and roll situations. You can't be as hyper aggressive as Milwaukee was with it. So you said when Plumlee can obviously switch. Can he also then he can blitz and hedge like no problem? Like he's, he I think he could be a really great. I think he'd be a great hedger. I think I think he can hedge and recover as well as about about anybody. But you know how many times wow. this year have we seen the first unit come out lifeless and the second unit sometimes they come back and like just inject it with energy like Fareed, Darrell Arthur always brings it. Jamal Murray plays super hard. So now you have three guys: Darrell Arthur, Plumley, Jamal Murray. That I think you're going to get great efforts from them almost every single night, if not every single night. If so, the starting unit would just not suck ass, this team would be above 500. Let's at defense, be, you're saying? Like, yeah, let's just be like flat out. The problem for this team yeah. the last three seasons has been their defensive starting unit. And I've hammered it, and I've hammered it, and I've hammered it. I've screamed into the void, and no one listens. I think, uh, at least for Jeff, the last Jeff two listens. seasons, I think there's some of the continuity issues there are a 19-year-old point guard who, in my opinion, and I know you say I'm rough on him, but in my opinion just doesn't understand the basics of defensive you, footwork. You go to the 19-year-old, and I go to the, the, the 31-year-old veteran supposed to be best player on the team, knows what it takes to win in this, in this league. Someone else needs to be setting the tone, and like, there needs to be more help for him. There needs I'm not to be arguing like, that point, though. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, look, it's a collective failure. Defense is, a, yeah. is always a collective failure. It's never one guy. It's never one. Well, but Evan, we also we also agree that Gary Harris is a good defender, right? Like he has this in him. No. but all of his metrics are bad, and he makes all these terrible decisions. Yeah. but but when you watch him, like if there was a one-on-one tournament in the NBA, he would be one of the he'll better be defenders. He'll be good in two years. So you think it's just a time and experience thing? I think that. I, th- I think we were, we were talking earlier about rhythm, right? We were talking about rhythm offensively and how it can kind of vibe up and, and raise up the entire team. I think the Nuggets have a bad defensive rhythm problem. I think that they don't. They have poor defensive rhythm. I think they do not make the they they don't rotate on a string. They don't communicate well. They don't contain their man. They don't give good efforts. They, they are never. Jeez. They are did, never. They're the thirtieth ranked defense in the league. <laughs> did you they, see? Did you see the like, Knicks? How do you start to fix this stuff? I mean, you start with one thing, and then try he's to go right. To the next Adam thing. is right in that they need to abandon. They need to abandon that crazy ass overload scheme. That's Honestly, I, I've actually changed my tune to that. The scheme is like thirty percent of it. I really think it's more of the details of the scheme. And I don't know if they're being taught. Like, I, I think obviously, we don't know. I think it's attention to detail, but yes, because my thing with that is this is not a new problem. I keep going back to this. If you have the same problem under Brian Shaw, you have the same problem under George Carl, and you got the same problem under Brian Shaw, and you got the same problem under Michael Malone, and you do have some players that were there throughout the entire process. I do not think that it's the coaching. 
Right. And I'm, I, here, here's a point I'll make. The New York game. Derek Rose, every, he kept getting Gary Harris every single time because he would come to the screen and wait for Gary Harris to like change to like step up. You know how you step up to kind of block the the angle off of the screen. And as soon, it was almost like a game of cat and mouse. Where as soon as he would do it, he'd go. And Gary Harris got beat every single time by Derek Rose. And I'm just thinking like. I'm watching this, and I'm just thinking, how does stuff like this happen over and over and over and over again? And to me, that's a little thing that a player, in my opinion, can adjust to. And I just don't know why the Nuggets never adjust, make those types of adjustments. And he jumped to, he must not be getting taught right. And I jumped to, or sometimes players listening. just don't listen. Yeah, or he's not like, listening. I don't look, know what the it biggest is. Pro- the biggest thing is the reason why most of the, of the teams in the league are bad is because their guys do not commit themselves. The great teams in this league are made up of guys who sacrifice and commit themselves. And... Denver has been great on the offensively. Like guys have bought in. Guys that are historically ball dominant are all of a sudden True. cutting and moving and slicing, and they recognize what they're good at, and they're sharing the ball, and yeah. they're making the extra pass. Like how much has the passing improved here in the last two years? It's night and day. How much though does uh, how much does this factor into things when a when a player looks at, especially a young player, when they look at guys that get paid and they go. Well, shit, he's not getting paid for defense. He's getting paid big bucks for offense. Like, how much does a guy, let's just say, like Gary Harris or Moutier, think, well, I need to get my scoring to 20 points per game versus becoming a stopper because that's my staying power in the league? It's just hard to find those guys that have the mentality of putting defense first, man. That's why Memphis puts a premium on it. Like, all their guys, Tony Allen, even like, you want, like, Zach Randolph's not a good defender. But Zach Randolph will, will hurt you because he knows that that's a way to be effective. And he's willing to sacrifice and do the things he needs to. And like even then, like Zach Randolph isn't like half-assing it. Zach Randolph is switching and trying to do all the and running, he running off too. off Draymond Green and doing all this shit that like he would be tired of anywhere else. Their guys commit to it, and that's a culture thing that still hasn't kind of taken hold here. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's on the coaching. I do think that you need you need one or two guys that are that are that are vocal and good enough players to be like. We are going to defend at a high level. If you want a great example of this, New York is actually a great example of this, right? Courtney Lee is a top-end defender. Courtney Lee is awesome, terrific. He is a high-level defender. Kristaps Porzingis can be an awesome defender. Why are the Knicks terrible defensively year after year after year? Their star player doesn't give a damn about it. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, Gal, to Melo never has. And, And, you know, even when Melo was here... It was Kenyon Martin who was the defensive, the, the guy who barked out defensive orders. It was never Mel. Yeah. Right, yeah, Melo wasn't going to do it. So let's, yeah. let's flip things. So Plumlee maybe uh, kind of see what we get defensively. Uh, where do you guys see him offensively? I know I, I loosely compared him. I said I think fans, while they're different players because Plumlee has the passing, uh, I, I do think fans will see some Chris Anderson-type stuff out of Plumlee where he just uses his body. And when Anderson was really young here, when the Nuggets were really shitty, when they first called him up, like he was the one athletic guy where you were like, wow. And I think Plumlee's going to make plays where fans are going to be like, wow, this guy can actually, like, he's an above-the-rim player at some points. And he's a, kind of a power player sometimes. But he's not polished. He doesn't have much of a jumper or a post-game. But I, I think Adam was talking about this beforehand of, Kenneth Freed's done an excellent job of unclogging the lane by playing the short corner, not not needing the ball, not needing to post up. And Plumlee, to me, is is that kind of player as well, which, you know, you can run stuff through him. He can facilitate. And to me, that's way more important than having a guy stuck in the post. I'm going to be very interested to see how he looks in Kenneth Freed's role. That's going to be very interesting to watch. Um, Because he won't hesitate, I don't think, as much. And he won't try and... 
hit the little floater as much, and he won't try and go to the leaning fadeaway as much. Uh, I think he's going to get a lot of drop-off dunks. He's going to. I think the other thing is he's a real lob threat. He is a yeah. real lob threat. If he can, if they can find a guard that will throw it, um, he's a, a serious full court and half court lob threat. Um, he plays extremely hard, like we talked about. He, I love his, his, his passing is what everybody talks about. He's a really great passer. The, the Nuggets now have two top fifteen outlet passers in the NBA league wide. They have two of the best. So if they send those guards and they just tell them, like, if they were to, to take a game and just be like bolt after like on every possession shot goes up on the defensive end run they would get so many runouts because of the kind of passing that they have in the outlet passing i also think that unlike nurkic i think that uh mason is going to work really well in high low passing with Jokic, both with Jokic at the elbow and mason at the elbow i think they're going to be able to pass to each other really effectively and they're just going to pass over people because they're both tall and they both have great passing touch what about this one Plumley and farid can they play together yes why because their defense is bad anyway. <laughs> yeah, but, but I mean more offensively. They're yeah. two guys that you don't have to guard outside of about five feet. Um, I think for bench units, it's fine. I think on starting units versus spacing, you're going to get crushed, right? You're going to get absolutely right. Uh, you got to think of teams like Indiana. You got to think of teams. Look, there's a lot of the guys that don't space the floor now are all bench dudes, and those two dudes are still getting buckets, and some of those units are still pretty good. Um, if you want the flip side, look at the look at the Wizards. The Wizards have floor spacers everywhere. Jason Smith can shoot to range, right? Their bench is a disaster because their guys aren't good. They've been better lately. But I, I, I think that you're going to – I think especially they're still going to be able to dominate on the offensive glass. So they're just going to ruin people in second-chance points because they're going to have so much size. And if the other thing is in transition, if you got Plumley and Fareed both fill in the lane, that is scary. With Jamal Murray spotting up on the perimeter, ooh. George Carl used to really emphasize – I remember – he talked about this several times. He liked the fact that he would have a different different kind of game with his bench unit. So it would yeah. like you would have one unit doing one thing and another unit doing another thing. And I think actually the Nuggets kind of are right now in that position with, with Plumley even with the addition of Plumley, is that they are their bench unit is actually to a large extent different, especially with with the addition of a little bit of athleticism at the center position. Um, you can have a, like that kind of frenetic thing in the second unit, and have the uh, the, the starting unit be really basically your half court offense running uh, kind of thing. So I think that's kind of what the Nuggets are kind of are focusing on is a the difference and like having the difference be something that teams can't account for, which would be interesting to watch to see if they can pull that off. Yeah, I, I guess I'm, I'm more surprised that. It, it, I mean, yesterday, I thought maybe Plumlee would have some overlap with Jokic, and today it's it seems that Malone may be trying to go back to this. Well, I mean, what do we call it? Uh, Plumich? Plumich? <laughs> you know, Plumich or, or what we call it? But or, Adam, do you like that? Do you like the pairing of of Jokic and Plumlee, perhaps, or do you like it better of short overlap with with Plumlee mainly being the five? I'm skeptical it's going to work, but I I mean I think for the for for this deal to really be a home run, that's going to have to work. Um, 
There are things the Nuggets can do when you have two bigs. I do think that they have to change their offense a little bit and get a little bit more creative. As much as they can do the high-low stuff, I still think there's some great opportunities. My personal opinion, if, if I'm coaching this team, I'm running these double high screens because Plumlee is so good at rolling to the rim. When you have double high screens, one of the problems with Moutier is that you can go under the screen on him. There's a second screen, then the second guy just gets even lower, and so I think that double high screens really works because then you pop Jokic, you'd roll uh, Plumley, and if nothing's open, you either kick to, to Jokic for the three or he goes straight into dribble handoff with nobody there to kind of hedge and, and stop that screen. To me, there's options, but it's different than what they run right now and sort of the continuity. I don't they're, know that he can play the Fareed role. They're going to be able to run elevators with Plumley and Jokic. <laughs> That's going to be great. With Jamal Murray just lighting it up. Yeah, J- elevators with Jamal Murray, Plumley, and, and, and Jokic. I'll take elevators. I mean. Tall elevator. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry. Your concern is is what with 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 Fareed? With Fareed? With him playing the Fareed role? Oh, I just don't know. I mean, it, it might work. It, he's athletic enough. I don't know that he's a finisher the way that Fareed is. I, it, it might work. When was the last time fin- Fareed finished in Denver? Fareed is a phenomenal finisher. I mean, that's why he shoots eighty percent every game when he's playing. With, when he's playing with Jokic, his percentage is eighty percent because he can like take one dribble from the corner or one step from the corner and finish. I just and never, I just, I just never see the kind of stuff that he got back when George Carl was here. I never see that kind of like that that the way that they used to 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 get buckets for him. For him, for me, it's always like he 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 either gets a tap back or he creates something underneath or he finds something short. Like he can finish on those kind of hustle plays because he's strong as all hell. But actual execution in a set. I just don't see much from him. I love him alongside Jokic. I mean, I, uh, to the point where I, I, I want to see a lot of minutes with those guys together because I think it's so good. There are some matchups where it doesn't work. I mean, there are some teams like well, and you're tonight, still gonna, for Well, and you're still going to see it. Like, I mean, I don't think that the, 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 them, they have been made very clear that they don't think that they're going to play Plumlee and Jokic together 25 minutes. It's got to be 5 to 10. That's, I mean, like, that's really uh, it. They, they, I think they said like 12, 15. So you're talking about... So that would be like 25 – 10 minutes would be 25 minutes for Plumlee, basically, because you're talking about 35 minutes for Jokic, which yeah. I think he needs. So, yeah, I mean, 22 minutes for Plumlee. Is that enough? I don't, I don't know. I mean, is it unfair with how good Darrell Arthur is that he's you know almost the lost big man in this? I mean, he, he could start, and I wouldn't bat an eye. He started the other night, right? They, should trade. they still have too many guys. <laughs> they, should, they should trade him, too. Yeah, they still have too many guys. <laughs> it's crazy. And then you have Wancho in there. Uh, Love Wancho. I love him. You know? So high on him. He's going to have a night tonight. Yes, he's he going to play some minutes. Have to. No, he's, look, he played Kevin Durant great in this building last night. Do you think Kevin stopper. Durant remi- remembers that? Because <laughs> he really did. He shut him down like five times in a row. I kind of feel like KD is like, you know what? I would think that Wancho was- came into that game, and Adam and I were sitting there, and I was like, oh, my God. Wancho's guarding Kevin Durant. And then like it worked. It, I was like, oh, he's 0 of 3. He's 0 of 4. You know who it didn't work against is LeBron James. <laughs> that did did you see that? that? I felt so work. bad that for him. That was, that was bad. And he did, kept getting ticky tack LeBron figured out that he could uh, post him up. Oh, man. No, he just got that. He did that thing where he gets the switch and then dribbles to half yeah. court and then runs right uh, at him. Yeah. It's like, just animal. backs up and gathers ahead of steam. Yeah. It's brutal. Uh, it was sad. Yeah. Um, Love Wancho. Big though. game's coming up for this. You know, like the Warriors, they're going to get drubbed tonight. They'll get killed. Oh, yeah. Got the fun uh, the Timberwolves game. Those the are Wolves good. close out the All-Star break. If they can get that win, that's good. Um, then they, they face the Kings. I think they have a great they, – there's a possibility of going on a run here. Read them off. They're at Kings to start the all, after the All-Star break. That's, that's, that's on the trade deadline. Um, I, I like that game for Denver, though. They're at home versus the Nets. That's a trap game. Mm. Yeah, they got to win that game. 
That game's gonna be. <laughs> Do fun. they though? What, what yes. night is that? What, what Nuggets, night? hold my beer. <laughs> what night is that game? Uh, it's a Friday night. That's a great, a great Friday night. Because what's that game? One thirty to one twenty. Those are two very high, high powered offenses. Yeah. I, I will, <laughs> the, the Sixers got him. I'm worried that the, <laughs> yeah. like this is this is the game the, yeah. the Nuggets lose is the is the Nets. They either win at one thirty one twenty or lose at one thirty one twenty. Mason Plum is going to have a triple double in that game. Oh, his old team. Yeah, they've got the Grizzlies at home. They're at the Bulls. That's an easy one. They're at the Bucks. They've got the, the they've, they've got the Hornets at home. They got the Kings at home. They got the Wizards at home. They got the Celtics at home. They face the Kings again. They have a bunch of games. So that there's they're not going to win all of these games. But every single one of those games, they're they're able and, to win. And then they, Lakers, they should, be, they should be well over five hundred on this stretch. And then Lakers, and then the Clippers, who are going to be back to full strength. And then oh no, and then it gets ugly. Hey, let's just stop there. Clippers, <laughs> no, no, Clippers, Rockets, Rockets, Cavs, Pacers, Pels, Blazers, Hornets, Heat, Pels. That's all right. There's like Rockets, four Pels, Thunder. That's all right. Mavericks Thunder. If they win the ones they should against the teams that are competing for the eighth spot there, they can put some real distance. While if still they, if they win games. those three Kings games, that's going to help them a lot. Yeah. They have a lot of games left versus the Blazers, versus the Pelicans and the Kings, who I think are both going to be in contention for the eighth seed. The losses to Portland earlier this season are probably going to come back and hurt. Uh, they have one more against Portland, right? Yeah. Yes. March, March 28th. doesn't matter, though. They've already clinched Pat Tayberger. Damn. Do you guys expect more moves? You think the Nuggets will make more maybe, moves? Maybe, maybe. I don't no. know. I, it, it it just really depends. I think I'd be somewhat surprised I, if they make more moves. Yep, me too. I would be. I, I just don't see. I don't see a lot of potential on the horizon. They only they yeah. only do they only do the deals if it's an absolute win for them. Yep. There's no. I mean, you need Nelson. You need Gallo. You Which need is why Wilson. it's funny that there's so much backlash against this trade because it's like they obviously feel like this is a no-brainer. They're like, we got Mason Plumley, and all we had to do was give up a meaningless pick and nurk. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. like that, that's how it looks internally. I had people excoriating me. Oh, they're mad. I, I was like, are you, are you kidding? This will be pick number 23. And look, it's, it could <laughs> wind up looking really bad. We know, that, we know Yusuf has the talent to be a great center in this yeah. league. I would be so shocked. If he if he puts it together, it's it's his stuff is all upstairs. How do you guys yeah. like his fit with the Blazers? Myself, I like the gamble. I like the gamble for them. I think it's smart because I think I think the chances of him coming because look, uh, Synergy has him at sixty four percent defensive rating, uh, percentile defensive rating. Um, to by comparison, by the way, Mason Plumlee is twelfth percentile. That means that eighty eight percent of the league is better than him in per points possession. Now. That's a that's synergy, and there's a lot of noise there. The problem is when you look at synergy and then the defensive rating, like you have a really bad, you have a really bad picture of of how it works with Nurkic. It's Can a little I be bit, one of those basketball guys that says we still don't have a good stat for defensive? Yeah, ratings. that's all you say. That's <laughs> like, like I try to to get around that with all the pieces I do by being like, hey, here's seven different metrics that all indicate the same thing. Like, well, none of them are good. All right. I, I ascribe to that theory, though. I'm, I'm one of the annoying guys. Yeah, that's fine. Um, <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> but, like, I think, I think that Nurkic can be a good individual defender. And, so, and if he's just doing the stuff, the stupid-ass stuff that he does, like fouling people and pissing them off, and they'll, they'll eat that up in Portland. They'll love him for it. Because this is as motivated as he should be, right? The question is going to be whether or not he adopts Stotts' system and passes out of the post, because that's the heart and soul of their entire offense, is the left side post up, force the double, off-ball screen, kick to the shooter. If he does that... Like he can average six assists. I seem to recall him doing a lot more high elbow 
passing when he was a rookie yeah. than he did subsequently. He became a post monster this year. They posted up every time, and I don't remember that. Yeah, it's just I, I, I remember he knew where his money was. Yeah, yes. he I mean, knows where <laughs> his money is in Nurkic, the unstoppable, the Bosnian beast. Turns yeah. it over one out of every three possessions in the post. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. I, yeah. I mean, I I remember him passing a lot. I, I, that was three years ago. Now, from the elbow. I mean, yeah, but. It was he passed from the elbow, high elbow. He was pretty good at it, and then he just stopped. Well, that's what they first started running that play where it was they'd set a screen and then have like a back cut and then lob it up. Yeah, that was, he would that do that one handed pass. Like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. now all he does is he gets the ball in the left block. <laughs> he looks for the underneath cutter. If Gary Harris is not open, he's immediately going into his drop step hook. Immediately. And that shot goes up within 0.5 seconds. It's- <laughs> Sometimes it comes after eight dribbles, though, yeah. and then a, and then a very fast hook shot. Let me ask you guys one uh, burning question I've had for weeks that I don't feel like anyone's talking about league wide anymore, and it bothers me. Anthony Davis is he ever going to shave his unibrow? Why is that not being <laughs> talked about anymore? And the same thing with James Harden. Like, is he ever going to get rid of his mohawk and beard combo, or does he have to wear that until he's an old man? I actually have insight on this. Uh, I have talked to the players. What? I have yes. talked. To, I have talked to them about these uh, these subjects. And really, one, and one thing they say <laughs> is it's like it's it literally is part of their brand. It makes them identifiable. They are not just a guy. They're the guy with the unibrow. The guy like Harden said to me like no like this is this makes me money. Are you going to be a thirty three year old unibrowed man? <laughs> you know, girlfriend or wife is going to make you? you clean I think it up? he's doing all right. You know. You know what that reminds. You know what that reminds me of. Is he? This is going to be a weird comparison. You guys are going to laugh at me. Bob Ross. Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, he had the circle fro. Bob Ross did, had did not have a curly hair like that. He did not. Does anyone here watch epic rap battles of history? Yes, I saw. Uh, I saw no. him. He's but he didn't. Apparently, he didn't have that. And he couldn't undo it because he, his brand was that. Yeah, it just stuck him then, with that for the rest Mello, of his life. Right? Like Mello had the cornrows, and then to get a brand, he said he shaved. Yeah, he, yeah, right? he had to shave. Yeah, he made yep. up that funny story. Yep. Uh, yeah, Iverson shaved his braids once upon a time. Yeah, right? yeah, back. Yeah, that's the thing. Let me look. Mello met Lala, and Lala. <laughs> well, you know, couldn't I, Anthony Davis? I, I got, I got, I got I mean? Mello's story for you. Um, so this is two thousand eight. 2008 Summer League. And the players are getting in for Team USA, so they always come in and hang out at the gym because they love basketball. And so Chris Paul walks in, and he's wearing a suit, pristine, like red tie. Everything is immaculate. Got a pocket square. Clean. Comes in and sits down. Uh, Dwayne Wade comes in. He's wearing designer jeans, a nice button-up shirt. He looks very put together. He looks like, like this has been perfectly assembled. LeBron James walks in, same kind of deal. Designer shirt. Like you could just tell like, this is like an expensive shirt. And Mello walks in watching a well, we're wearing a giant ass T shirt. A <laughs> giant ass like it looked like a moo moo. Yeah. I remember and that. baggy jeans. And he comes in and I look over at Chris Paul and Dwayne Wade and I see Chris nudge Dwayne and they nod up at, at, at Mello and they just shake their head. And like two years later Mello like completely revamped himself. Yeah. And then and now like he's an incredible dresser now like he's got yeah. everything all together. Melo also at that time had the scariest looking bodyguard I have ever seen in the in in my life. <laughs> the scariest looking bodyguard I have ever seen. That that guy was a giant mountain of do not fuck with me. Was it Yusuf Nurkic's dad? Scary, <laughs> scarier. That's the funny thing about Nurk too, right? Is like he was like here he was kind of a baby, like a little bit of a baby. Yeah. 
And it's weird because he comes from Bod, like he like like he's from a hard part of the world. He's from a hard part of the world. And he's just, somebody somebody league wide, not not with the Nuggets. Somebody told him that their thought was the first team that he was on babied him so much that they gave him expectations. And that's part of what he wound up kind of working with him. Oh, by the way, when I say baby, I don't mean I don't I really don't mean it in the terms of like he's soft and when like the the effeminate kind of kind of connotation which it, it can be which is annoying. It's more in the sense of like he just is kind of like he acts a little bit childlike sometimes. Yep. He gets he pouts and that's a problem. Yep. So yeah. I remember that from his rookie year and that was one of the things that stood out to me which I was surprised because he I don't know if uh, people remember uh, Nurkic when he first came into the league. I mean, the Nurkic that you saw this year, he was significantly smaller than yeah. the Nurkic that came oh, yeah. in when he was a rookie. He was a massive guy. And I'll never forget watching practice, and he popped Mozgov yeah. in the face. Just <laughs> bam. Mozgov, who, by the way, had a bit, and Nate could tell you this, big voice. I mean, just a guy that, if he wanted to, could be extremely con- intimidating. Well, all that was not his personality. And he just pops Mozgov in the face. And you're like, this man is going to, like, move mountains just with his backside. And then he became kind of what you saw this year. And it was at the big, just on a final note about about uh, Nurkic, it's disappointing to me the way this year ended up with him because I, I had a lot more expectations of him from what I saw of him as a rookie than to what I saw this year, which was ex- exceedingly disappointing to me. I like Nurk. I, I I thought it was cool seeing him come to Denver and you know barely speak English and all that, and then rapidly just like Evan Fournier did and other guys, you know, uh, changes a little bit. We had his dad. His dad was kind of a big deal here. Now it feels like we kind of traded him for Jokic's brothers, right? You know? yeah, that's true. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got those guys going. So it's, well, it's very you, you remember that this is a story I've told frequently recently, but th- that draft he was drafted in was. Uh, that's the one with the Gary Harris and then the second round with Nikola Jokic. And I'll never forget after the, the we get done with the press conference for the draft, uh, Conley stands up and cameras are still rolling from altitude. And he kind of looks down at us and he says, what, no questions for about Nikola Jokic? And he's just kind of like looking at all of us incredulously. And I'll never forget thinking, he's just a second-round pick. Who cares? Whoops! <laughs> and he's no, is it Turkmenish? You want yeah. Nikola Jokic to single-handedly turn me around on European players? Yes, finally, we got him. Matt Moore's converted. I'm, I'm a total convert, and man, like I just, <laughs> I watched that 40-point performance versus the Knicks, and the Knicks are trash. But I was so impressed, and like all, like it's just impossible not to be supremely impressed with everything that he does. He is just, he is, he's awesome. He is awesome. All right, you guys ready? Yep. Yeah. We out of here. All right. Thank you guys. We appreciate it. Catch you guys next week. All right.